0: Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hi. And hi. And Andrea Smith, our technology guru extraordinaire. Hi. Hello. Um, Today on the show, I think it's really uh, easy to say that Amy and I are ridiculously excited for today's show. I cannot even tell you. And Andrea is, we're like trying to... (laughs) brainwash Andrea um, into our cult of America's Test Kitchen. So today (laughs) on the show, we have Jack Bishop, who is the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen, joining us, and we are going to talk all things holiday food, potlucks, why America's Test Kitchen is so awesome. Um, and then we're gonna talk about getting your kids involved in cooking and baking and great ways that America's Test Kitchen has you know, products and services for you to do that and just great suggestions on how to do that and why it's important to do that, to raise a generation of kids who can cook and bake and feel confident. And so that is our show today and then we will have our Bites of the Week. So we will be right back with Jack Bishop of America's Test Kitchen. We are back with Jack Bishop. He's the chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. And Jack, we are so excited to have you on today.
1: Uh, Nice to meet you all. I'm excited to talk to you about food.
0: We love to talk about food. We talk about food all the time, even when it's not the subject of our show. So somehow we work in food in some way. Um, But I would love for you to give a little background on America's Test Kitchen for our listeners who just may not know the full extent of, of what it is.
1: Sure, we are 200 food obsessed uh, cooks, chefs, editors, videographers, TV producers creating content designed to help people succeed at home when they cook. Uh, we believe that cooking uh, at home is a really important skill that everybody needs to have. It makes you happier and healthier. And that is our job to give you the information to be able to be successful when you're cooking. So that means recipes, product reviews. We have thousands of reviews of everything from brands of chocolate and canned tomatoes to um, all the gear that you need in your kitchen. Um, We talk a lot about science because we think it's always best if you understand why you're doing something when you're cooking. And a lot of that has to do with technique and science. So uh, we create television shows, magazines, cookbooks, Um, All designed to get people in their kitchens and to be successful when they are making food at home.
0: I think that's one of the most um, amazing things to me about America's Test Kitchen. It's always my resource that I go to before I buy any new gadget or appliance or anything in my kitchen because I don't think people realize – you guys test things to a degree (laughs) that is – I mean, extreme. I mean, it's really, you guys are looking at things and you're using them in every which way you think a home cook might use them. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that process of how you guys, I guess, choose the things you're testing, but also what that process
1: looks like? Sure. I mean, I think the um, first thing to talk about is because we are on public television and because we don't take advertising in our magazines, on our websites, we have total independence. So uh, if something isn't very good, we basically say it's not very good and you shouldn't buy it. And I think that's really one of the reasons why people trust us is that when we test, um, let's say, 10 roasting pans, we're going to have roasting pans that we love and that we highly recommend. um, And then ones which we say this roasting pan really isn't up to snuff and you should avoid it. And so I think that engenders a lot of trust in terms of the testing process. We have eight editors who all day, all they do is test stuff. And so um, they develop protocols. So if we're going to be testing skillets, well, we're going to make 12 different recipes that are going to try to uh, represent the range of things you might do in that uh, skillet. And then we're going to uh, cut them apart to sort of see how they're made. We're going to try to do some abuse tests to see, you know, what what, what happens if you do something really bad that you're not supposed to do, but a lot of people do anyway, We just to put a scorching hot pan um, in a sink full of cold water, mm-hmm. um, which can cause the the, the, the pan to warp or the handle to come off. And so, you know, we'll simulate things that you're not supposed to do. We'll put things through the dishwasher a hundred times um, and see if the markings on that liquid measuring cup are going to come off because if it's a measuring cup without any lines, it's not going to do you any good. <laughs> um, and so that's the kind of stuff that we do. And we have eight people who do that all day, every day.
2: I just want to say that I watch the show with Amazon open and I just buy whatever you say. i like, (laughs) I've never been steered wrong, ever.
1: Well, uh, thank you. And, you know, that's because the reason why we do this is that we really believe that if you're starting out with quality ingredients or quality pieces of of, uh, equipment, that you're going to more likely have better results. Um, And that if you're using a really bad pan or a really mediocre knife, that may be the reason why you think you're not a very good cook. And it's not you. It's, you know, it's your tools. And so that's one of the reasons we first started doing this so 27 years ago is that we realized that made a big difference in the results people had at home was were they using, you know, good products.
2: And when I was looking for a bread knife, because I bake a lot and I didn't have a good bread knife, and I had done my own research and I had like, you know, five different knives in my Amazon cart ranging from like $50 to $150. And I just happened to see an episode where you guys tested bread knives And your winner was like under $20. And it was like the perfect timing. And I took all that other stuff out of my cart and went, okay, that's the one. And I've recommended it to like everybody I know.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it seems really basic. But one of the things we did with the bread knives is we found that if you have a really big artisan loaf, a lot of the knives that are being sold aren't big enough to actually cut through them um and so you know we we learned we didn't really realize that was going to be such an issue until we started the tests. and sure all of them were fine with smaller loaves but when you get these really big round loaves the the shorter blades you know we're we're not really getting all the way through um uh the bread you know we looked at the serrations you know do you want scallops or pointed serrations um and so we talked to a lot of scientists as well um you know we're based here in boston so we have access to all kinds of local experts as well as obviously being able to get on the phone and find experts around the world to talk to. But we've got scientists at MIT, at um, Harvard, at BU that we're regularly going to their labs. And for instance, you know, bringing knives over and say, can you put this under an electron microscope and tell us why is this one so much sharper than all the rest? Um, So we can figure out uh, not only what's better, but why.
0: Well, along those lines, so we're, I feel like we're heading into the busiest cooking season, even people who don't normally cook and bake, cook and bake. Um, so meal pre- I mean, I assume this is kind of like your, your Super Bowl time also, <laughs> like you know, that holiday, the baking and the cooking and the amount of people looking on your website probably for help um, with holiday preparations. It, this is the time we get questions too, even just from friends and family, and people start thinking about their menu for Thanksgiving or for Christmas or Hanukkah. How do you even begin to prep for holiday? I mean, what are your tips for people who need to suddenly manage, you know, maybe multiple meals for a larger group than they ever normally cook for um, or for people who are just intimidated because they really don't cook all year and, and this is it for them?
1: Yeah, so I have two general recommendations because I get this question all the time. And you're right. Thanksgiving is like the biggest thing that we do at the company uh, where people are coming to us desperate for information. And so the first thing is plan. And I still um, I'm 20 some odd years into making Thanksgiving every year. Last year, there were 24 people at my house and I did. My wife does all of the shopping, sets the table and does dessert. And I do the entire meal by myself. Um, and I plan. I have a schedule. I write down on a piece of paper what I'm doing the entire day. So at one thirty, here's what needs to go in the oven. At 1.45, here's what I'm doing. And so plan. Um, second thing is be realistic. So if you are going to be working on Wednesday... Do not plan a Thanksgiving dinner that has 12 different recipes. You're, <laughs> right. you're, you're going to be miserable. So I take Wednesday off. Um, my wife has done all the shopping and I wake up Wednesday morning and basically prep all day Wednesday and do a fair amount of cooking on Thursday. And so, you know, I can do an ambitious menu. But um, be realistic. Four things really well made is a much better plan than 10 things that are sort of so-so and you feel like crying somewhere in the middle of the day. Um, and so, you know, plan and be realistic about what you can accomplish.
2: Are there any recipes that you make ahead? Because I know there are a couple for me that I, I'm going to put them in the freezer this weekend and they'll taste great on Thanksgiving. Do you do any of that or do you make everything the day before and the day of?
1: Um, I am starting uh, the cooking the weekend before. So, and sometimes even a week or two before. So if you're going to make pie dough, you could make pie dough uh, a month before uh, you want to use it. Um, just simply uh, wrap it well in plastic, put it in a zipper lock bag and go in the freezer. Um, and then, you know, when you're ready to roll it out, it's there. Um, I make soup uh, is my first course, either uh, a cauliflower soup or butternut squash soup. I alternate. And I generally make that three or four days in advance. Um, you can make cranberry sauce several days in advance. Um, I make the gravy on Wednesday. Um, I am uh, I make a roux-based gravy where I'm using the giblets and the neck. Um, to make a turkey stock. And then I'm uh, making uh, a roux out of flour and butter. And basically, my gravy is done Wednesday afternoon. So it's one less thing I have to worry about on Thanksgiving day. And so, um, yeah, there are a fair number of things that you can do in advance and I really encourage people to take advantage of those.
0: What do you think is the big mistake people make? How, not just holiday cooking, but like the turkey? Like, I just feel like the turkey is the Elephant in the room, right, on Thanksgiving Day. That people either feel like they need to make it, but they dread making it, and it doesn't always come out right. And what what is it about the turkey that people find so daunting?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really unforgiving um, protein. Uh, it's really hard to cook. You know, the breast meat is um, prone to drying out. The dark meat needs to cook longer, and so the Number one thing I can suggest is to get an instant read thermometer so that you're not guessing when the turkey is done. The little pop-up thermometers that a lot of turkeys come with uh, is set at 178 degrees um, so that it pops when the breast reaches that temperature. At America's Test Kitchen, we think the breast is done at 160 to 165. And so basically, if you wait for the pop-up to come, you pretty much guaranteed that you're going to have dry, chalky breast meat. Um, And so, you know, using an instrument thermometer to uh, take the temperature both in the breast and in the thigh um, is the perfect way to make sure that you don't undercook it, which is terrible, obviously, or overcook it, which is what most people do. Um, So I think that's the the number one thing you can do to make uh, the turkey easier. Um, I don't stuff the bird because it's a lot harder to cook a stuffed uh, turkey, the one that's unstuffed, put the, the stuffing in a casserole dish. It will make things easier. It's also safer. Um, so those are the two things I, I advice I give people about the turkey. So
3: for me, the person who doesn't, uh, ab- I'm not going to say obsess about cooking, but like I made Thanksgiving for my very large family year after year after year. And for me, I stuck with the same thing, like, and I, and I perfected the turkey. I didn't put the stuffing in it. Just like you said, I made sure it didn't get dry. I took it out earlier. I let it sit. Um, that wasn't daunting to me. To me, it was like, I make the same kind of family traditions. Do you mm-hmm. find that people are changing up their recipes, trying new things? Cause I'm always scared to try something new and have it turn out terrible. Same.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's a good thing to audition recipes perhaps in advance or, you know, go to a trusted source. You know, if you make one of our recipes, they're going to work. Um, So uh, I'm pretty confident about that. I would say for for me, there's a mix every year of things that must be on the table. Uh, And then I have some latitude and there's usually two or three things that I'm trying out. So must-haves, my family, and especially my two daughters who are now adults, uh, are obsessed with mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes are the most unfriendly thing to make for a large crowd. I mean, it's like a complete nightmare to think there are 18 people waiting in the dining room and you're, you know, boiling and ricing (laughs) potatoes. So um, about 10 years ago, we developed a recipe for a mashed potato casserole. So it's mashed potatoes that you make on Wednesday. They get enriched with a lot of eggs. So they souffle. And then you put them in a casserole dish and they can go in the refrigerator and then they go into the oven when the turkey comes out. And so it's like you get mashed potatoes, but none of the, you know, boiling or peeling uh, the day of uh, cooking. So... um, But I think it's always good to have a couple of new things at the table. Um, It's just fun. And, you know, know the things that have to be there. And my kids have made it clear that if there is not mashed potatoes on the table, you know, it's not Thanksgiving. Um, And so there's always mashed potatoes. But um, I have some latitude when it comes to other things.
2: I am. I always do the traditional stuff. But then a couple of years ago, I added a quinoa salad, which was a surprise hit. I did not expect that.
1: Yeah, I I added three or four years ago a um, shredded Brussels sprout salad because I love Brussels sprouts. And the only other person who likes them is my wife's aunt. And I (laughs) always roast them for the two of us, basically. And then I started this recipe. You basically treat them, it's almost like a coleslaw. They get shredded Mm -hmm. and tossed with a mustard, lemon, vinaigrette. Everyone loves them. And people who said they would never eat Brussels sprouts now love this salad. Um, It's also room temperature, so it's like one less thing to put in the oven. Mm. Um, So it's very cook-friendly as well. And so, um, you know, sometimes you can surprise everybody by making something that feels a little out of the box. Brussels sprout salad, um, and they'll love it, and now it's part of the meal.
0: Mm, As a fan of Brussels sprouts, that's something I definitely want to try. (laughs) I think people end up appreciating something sort of fresh and green at the holiday table because everything is so heavy and cooked um, that I always find that, that to be true when there's something kind of crispy and fresh. Um, I have a, So our other big thing we want to sort of touch on with you is the potluck because this is also the time of year where you will be invited too many um, or you may host them. And obviously it makes it easier for you if things are potluck, if you're hosting where you can sign things. But do you guys have some go-to, like this is a crowd pleaser and it's really easy to make or you can make it ahead?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I have a couple of general principles and then some specific dishes that um, I want to talk to you about. So as a person who hosts potlucks, I always love the person who brings something in a slow cooker. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you do a potluck and six people show up, with six casseroles that need to fit in the oven and probably all have different oven temperatures and times um, you know especially for large gatherings it can get complicated and so the person who brings something in a slow cooker that we can then plug in um, and keep warm I love that person um, uh, so or something that's room temperature um, so that's something if you want to be a good guest at a potluck think about something that's not that demanding for the host of the potluck um, and doesn't need to go um, into the oven. Um, So, you know, I think um, for potluck, I'm always looking for things that I feel like everybody will eat. Um, So, you know, I think vegetarian dishes make a lot of sense here. Um, A lot of potluck food is pretty heavy. And so I'll often bring, um, uh, you know, a soup or stew, that's got beans and vegetables cuz i just feel like well that's not going to be on the table they are going to be five chilies um <laughs> and they're not going to be anything green or anything you know fresh and so um think about that and then pasta casseroles i mean whether mm. it's lasagna baked ziti i mean is there somebody who doesn't like this pasta casserole um right. uh, if there and, is i
2: don't want them at my potluck
1: yeah uh, <laughs> Macaroni and cheese, um, and you know all of those things. Yes, they do need to go into the oven. They're going to be in that thirteen by nine baking dish, but they're pretty forgiving. And so, um, that's another category uh, that I think about it. Uh, you know, I think lasagna. If, if you're somebody who brings a lasagna to a potluck, you're going to be the most popular person at that potluck.
2: And I love my carrying cases that hold like a casserole dish or a thirteen by nine by two pan that have the the hot and cold packs. Because then I don't have to bother with the oven. I just put it straight into there from my oven, microwave the pack, put it on top, and it's good to go when it gets to the potluck.
1: Yeah, there, there are all these cool insulated food containers and um, carrying containers. And, yeah, I mean, they're just super Make it easy to do at home. And, you know, you it stays warm, it's safe, and then you take it out of the container and it's ready to serve.
3: So I have a question about what to do. When you're not going to a potluck, when you've been invited to a dinner or a cocktail party or, you know, a brunch. And, of course, you say, what can I bring? And they, you know, sometimes a hostess will say, oh, please bring a side dish or please bring wine. But the people who say, just bring yourselves and your appetite. (laughs) What do you bring?
1: (laughs) What do you show up with? I, I love the guests who show up with something I wouldn't expect. So I often will bring a book. Um, you know, I, I'm, you probably are guessing I'm a bit of a control freak. <laughs> and so I don't really want people to bring things to, you know, I've got a menu plant. Um, and I may or may not want to serve, um, what it is that you're, um, you know, uh, you're going to bring to my house. So, but a book that you love Um, The other thing is like a food gift. So it's not designed to be served. Um, Mm. So, um, and it could be something you buy, Um, you know, a really nice expensive bottle of sherry vinegar that you may not buy for yourself. Sherry vinegar happens to be my favorite. Um, I feel like it's always appreciated. I mean, if you're going to somebody's house for dinner, well, they cook. And so that may be something to think about, a really nice, beautiful bottle of olive oil. Um, again, you know, they're going to use it, right? And so they don't, and they don't have to use it tonight and you're not making extra work for them. They don't need to run around and find a vase, to put the flowers in. Um, and then, you know, a week later, two weeks later, a month later, they open your gift or they read your book or whatever it is you've brought. And they're like, Oh, I really like Jack. He's such a good guest. <laughs> I'm going to invite him back. <laughs>
3: And you're right about the whole, you know, if someone has a menu, maybe what you bring, hey, look what I cooked, you know, spicy salsa bean dip, you know, maybe it just doesn't <laughs> go with their theme. So and they, they feel like they have to serve it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's always nice to ask. Always appreciate it. Um, but when I tell you, just bring yourself. I really, honestly mean that. I'm good. I mean, if I needed help, and sometimes I do, I'll ask. But more often than not, I don't. Um, but I always love to get something unexpected, um, and it can be, you know, little. It doesn't have to be. Um, doesn't have to be anything. Um, don't spend a lot of money and don't don't sweat it. Um, but it doesn't have to be the bottle of wine either. If you feel like, oh, I don't really want to buy a bottle of wine. It seems so boring. You know, have some fun.
0: OK, perfect. That's great. So speaking of sometimes unexpected guests, or <laughs> unexpected things, um, I think for a lot of people getting their kids involved in cooking and baking, uh, I think people get their kids involved in baking. I feel like that's the easier thing that, you know, people know that get their kids making cookies mm-hmm. or cupcakes or um the horrible cooking class my daughters had in their elementary school, which was, I call the crescent roll cooking class where every (laughs) every week was just a version of rolling something in a crescent roll. Um, But people, like baking seems to be something people are pretty familiar with getting their kids involved with. Cooking, and maybe it's because knives are involved, seems a little more intimidating to people or maybe because people aren't confident in their own cooking. So it seems like a hard thing to teach their kids. You guys have launched a whole series of kid products and this whole new subscription box, the Young Chefs Club. Can you talk a little bit about that, about getting kids involved? And I did read in your bio that you started cooking for your family at 13.
1: Yeah. So um, my mother was a stay-at-home mom until I was 13. And then she got a job out of the house where she was suddenly working 60 hours a week. And so as the oldest, it was either I was going to learn to cook or we were going to eat dinner at eight or nine o'clock every night. Um, And I learned to cook. And so... I think that your kids can do much more than you think that they can do. Um, And, you know, in this world where our kids are not doing enough stuff with their hands, um, you know, gets them away from devices, they get this positive reinforcement of, um, you know, wow, look what I made. Because even if it's only so-so, you are going to be so happy if your kid makes something. Um, And yeah, they're knives and there's hot stuff involved, but if you want your kids to learn, they've got to start somewhere. I mean, do you really want your kid to be that, um, you know, 30 something who starts a family and doesn't even know how to hold a knife, um, or to, you know, um, use a measuring cup. Um, and so like any other life skill, you need to start when they're kids, uh, and, you know, be age appropriate. I mean, I don't think you want four-year-olds Julianning carrots, um, the, but they're knives that are made for small kids, um, to, to, to begin to get them involved. And there are lots of ways that don't involve heater or, or knives, um, uh, mixing, um, uh, menu planning, you know, kids who participate in, uh, cooking and I include menu planning, um, are much more likely to be adventurous eaters. Um, you know, they have a steak in it. Um, literally, and feel like okay, <laughs> I made this, um, so I'm going to taste it. Uh, and so I know that a lot of parents worry about you know kids being picky, but I think that's because they have no connection to the food. And so I think it's really important to take your kid shopping, um, to take your kid, uh, get your kid involved in selecting recipes. Um, to touch the food, um, toss things with their hands. I mean, there's so many things even, um, you know, three and four-year-olds can do. And certainly once kids get to be, um, you know, eight or nine, they really are quite capable. And we've been doing this. We've got kids in our test kitchen every week testing recipes. So, you know, one of the things we do here is we always have um, the users, the TV viewers, the readers, whoever's going to be using the content, uh, vet it before we publish it or broadcast it. And when we started the kids' business, we said we're going to have to do the same thing. Um, and so we've got about 5,000 kids around the country who are testing our recipes. But we said, you know what, we really want to also see them at work, because you know, we're, we're sending surveys to their parents, and who's really filling out that survey? Is it the kid or the mom or the dad? And so we do this every week. We've got kids coming into the test kitchen in Boston. We park their parents in a conference room with some videos and magazines and watch them cook for two hours. We give them our recipes that are in development, and it's surprising what the kids can accomplish. And so uh, empower your kids. You're giving them a skill that is going to make them feel better about themselves that they can use for you know the next eighty years, ninety years.
0: Do you think this sort of new spate of kids cooking reality shows has helped kids, you know, want to be more in the kitchen, or do you feel like they're so intimidating because these kids are making crazy dishes that they maybe... intimidate me? Yeah, <laughs> you know, when you have kids making beef Wellington and all that, and they're like, wait a second, like, my kid just needs to learn how to make pasta, you know, just let's, you know, but it seems like everyone either expects their kid to be a chef or, you know, eating a can of something.
1: Well, I think it's a good development from the perspective that it's got kids excited. So I do a lot of public events, and I would say for the last half dozen years, I've had a surprising number of eight to 12 year olds, um, come to my events and say, you know, I want to be a chef. Um, and when I grow up and it's like, kids don't want to be astronauts anymore. They want to be chefs. (laughs) Um, and so I think that's a great starting point for parents. Now it's true. You probably don't need your kid to be able to make creme brulee or some fancy thing. And I think that's really where we come in. And what we're doing that I think is really important is we're making these recipes accessible for kids so that they work, Um, And so even the kid who has high aspirations, but basically no skills is going to be successful. I mean, one of my favorite recipes is um, pasta. So, you know, one of the challenges is like, I really don't want eight-year-olds draining um, a heavy pot with four quarts of boiling water. So we have this one pot uh, pasta with tomato sauce where we make the sauce uh, with canned tomatoes and garlic and olive oil. And then we add the pasta directly to the sauce along with additional water and cover um, uh, the pot and there's nothing to drain. Um, You know, you're cooking the pasta in the sauce. And so, you know, a lot of that's what we've been doing is not only how to write a recipe that a kid can use, but also like how to build a recipe that makes sense for a kid. And, you know, it doesn't really make sense for small kids to be draining gigantic pots of boiling water. Um, And so that's been, um, you know, where I think we've been really helpful. And I think the kids will just feel like, hey, I was successful. I did this. And then, you know, eventually they may want to make creme brulee, but that's probably not where they want to start.
0: No, that's really smart because a lot of times I found when my daughters were young, like, quote unquote, kid cookbooks were really not kid recipes that they could do themselves. It was more like things they thought kids would want to eat. Um, Mm. So your kids would sort of, it would be like, and now ask your parent to do this. And now ask your parent to do that. Um, Maybe it was also just them sort of, you know, covering themselves, not wanting to tell a kid to turn on the oven or whatever. But I think that's really brilliant when I hear you say that about a one pot pasta like that, which you also see for adults, right? It sort of became a big trend, that no drain um, pasta dish. But I think having something that your kid can complete. I know my niece who is nine or 10 now um who's a super chef like she's just super into it and she makes everything she makes ceviche She made, she's adorable and she's super into it and she went to like master chef summer camp or something <laughs> um, but when i see the confidence she has from that and how it has actually translated to other things whether it be sports or anything like it definitely gave her an attitude that she can tackle anything um because a recipe is already broken down into steps. Like I think it gave her this ability to sort of see a plan. Um, It's been really wonderful to see and we all benefit from it because she's actually a fabulous cook. Um, So I was wondering with your daughters, you mentioned they're adults now, did you bring them into the kitchen and did you sort of get them cooking right away or were you still too much of a control freak (laughs) that you had to do it all? (laughs) That was my problem. Yeah, that's a lot of people's parents' problems, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they were always in the kitchen. Um, I think they were always really invested in um, menu planning and doing some cooking. I would say as adults, they've made more progress than they were as children under their tutelage of their father. Um, <laughs> so, um, But I think they had all of those uh, life skills and an appreciation for it. And Um, You know, they were they took a lot of pride in just planning the menu, even if um, they are sometimes lost interest in the cooking. Um, But I think, you know, it's just so important that um, your kids engage in these activities that will promote self-esteem. And I think, you know, cooking. It's so much easier than a lot of the other things kids are trying to mm-hmm. learn how to do. I mean, it's a lot easier than, like, mastering the saxophone
0: right. or,
1: or, you know, learning Mandarin. Um, and, you know, you can get good at it really quickly and you can share it. I mean, I think that's the the other thing is that a lot of these other things that kids are working on can be a little lonely at times, right? I mean, you know, it's like you're building the skill set and it's going to take a long time and there's not much anybody can do except, you know, did you practice? Um, as opposed to cooking where it's communal and then you all get to sit down at the table and enjoy it. And so however your kid gets wants to be involved, it means I know kids who just want to shop. You know, they love going to the supermarket and buying things. They may not be that interested in cooking, but that helps and makes them really feel like they're part of the meal planning.
2: And so... What comes with this box? Like, like what's the process if you get the subscription box for your kid? Like how involved are you? How much can they do on their own? Do they have to like go out and buy ingredients?
1: Yeah, so it comes with a variety of recipes. So there's a theme every month. Uh, there's a taco box. There's a cake decorating box. There's a box about food textures. Um, There's always um, STEAM principles embedded in everything that we're doing here. Cooking is a great way for kids to get um, understanding about a little bit of chemistry or math or um, art. You know, a lot of food presentation is really thinking about design and um, making things look good. Um, So I think it hits a lot of different things that kids are interested in. Um, There's recipes, there's techniques, um, there's science experiments, there are taste tests. And then they are physical goods, so they, they could be a, um, a bench scraper uh, inside a box that's dedicated to bread baking to teach kids all about that. Uh, it could be yeast. It could be interesting salts from around the world for kids to taste. Um, yes, it comes with a shopping list, so if you want to go out and uh, make all the recipes and activities, there's a, a list for the parent. Um, To look at to see which of these items I've got in the pantry and which do I need to go out and buy. Uh, And it's really, depending on your kid, something that your child or your children could do mostly by themselves or with the parent um, or an adult, depending on their interest level, their age, their skill, and so, you know, I think if you had a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, the boxes are pretty much, they, they let them go. Um, um, or your 10-year-old has a friend over. I think for a younger kid, um, you know, the, the parent's likely going to want to be involved in, in um, some of the activities. But, um, you know, they're, it's, again, really designed to get kids thinking about food um, and not just cooking, but like, what is taste? And why do we like certain things? And um, how does texture Uh, factor into how we perceive uh, differences in uh, different ingredients
2: and can a 47 year old subscribe because that (laughs) sounds like a lot of fun I was just gonna say
3: like this is something that, that I need like the basics you know in introduction to taste how to use flavors I mean this is something that as an adult I would love to do
1: Yeah, and that's why we really feel like ultimately these are meant to be um, uh, adult-child activities. And whether that's parents, whether that's grandparents looking for ways to spend, you know, meaningful time with grandchildren when they come over. um, You know, uh, the subscription box from the uh, Young Chefs Club um, and cooking in general are just a great way for, um, you know, families to connect.
0: Well, this has been such a great conversation. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And we'll put links to all of this amazing stuff and all these resources on our on our show page. Um, but I really want to thank you today. This is so much to think about and so much great information and resources. And hopefully everyone will get their kids cooking and helping this holiday season and maybe even take a little like pressure off the adults by having the kids help. <laughs> uh, but thanks again for joining us. This was really great.
1: Oh you're welcome. Really nice to chat with you all.
0: We'll be right back with our bites of the week. We are back with our bites of the week. Amy, what do you have? So,
2: I am a huge fan of the Norwegian band Aha. Um, it's probably not a huge surprise because like all of my musical tastes are pretty much stuck in the 80s and 90s, but like if you know me, I don't like leaving my house and I definitely don't like loud giant crowds and I've been to two aha concerts so that's wow yeah like that wait like recently um (laughs) one was my second concert ever I was in ninth grade um and my friend Tara and I like walked to the theater downtown to buy tickets in person with cash because that's like the only way that a couple of 13 year olds could do it um and then the second time was like within the last I'd say it's since I've had kids I forget exactly when it was but I remember it was like a big night out away from, I think, just one child at that point. So, um, and they were amazing both times, like just incredible. And even if you're not like a crazy AHA fan, you probably still love Take On Me because everybody loves Take On Me and it's like the best video. Um, so they have been making a documentary series about the making of Take On Me, which seems like it couldn't feel like, you know, more than five minutes but I mean only one episode has been released so far and it's 10 minutes long and it was fantastic and the second episode is coming out tomorrow so if you go to YouTube and you go to the aha account or if you just search like aha the making of take on me you'll find it and um it's just great it's it's like 90s fantastic everything (laughs) It's
3: awesome all right, Andrea. You know, Andrea. I will remind <laughs> you that you were the one who made your way to the front row and stayed <laughs> until the end of the jam-packed, very crowded very loud Foo Fighters concert at CES. Okay. I'm just going to say, because once it was so unlike you. once
2: I'm already there, you know, like then I'm going to make the most of it. And Foo Fighters, I say they slot nicely into my 90s yes. music taste because, <laughs> you know, um, but that was amazing also. Like that was an incredible concert. Yeah, but they're definitely, I think of them as 90s.
3: Okay. All right. But it was a, still a loud, a loud, crowded place. But so loud, so crowded. But
2: it's like camping. Once I'm there, I'm just gonna have right a good there. time. Wow!
0: And- All right, camping. I don't know. That's a whole other story. All right, Andrea. <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, okay. So I'm playing with gadgets again because it's holiday roundup time, um, and I just did some kitchen gadgets actually, which I can post a link to that uh, that article. On I want to see that. Okay. Um, But I'm looking at travel stuff now, and one of the things that a lot of people who are iPhone users complain about, of course, is the lack of a headphone jack. Um, And although I'm fine with Bluetooth headphones, it's hard at the gym if I decide I want to listen to the TV, which I don't really do very often, But um, or on a plane. You know, if you've got one of those planes that you have to plug in you're screwed and you've got to get their little cheapo headphones on the plane. So 12 South, which is a company that makes amazing iPhone accessories, um, great cases, great gadgets, great gizmos, um, has something called the Air Fly. And it's basically a jack that you plug into the wired connection and it has a little Bluetooth transmitter on it. It's very, very small. It's like a dongle that hangs out and that becomes your Bluetooth connection. And then you can pair any wire-free, wireless headphones that you're wearing. They were designed for the AirPods and the AirPods Pro, but they work with any wireless headphones and connect via Bluetooth to this dongle, which then gives you a full connection. So you can use them on a plane, you can use them at the gym, you can use them anywhere that you need to
0: connect your earbuds. And it's awesome. And they're like $45. Yeah. That's awesome. I know it would be the first thing I would leave on the plane because I've lost like four (laughs) Kindles on planes. Like I've stopped (laughs) traveling with my Kindle because I just leave them in the front pocket. So I'm sure that stupid dongle would also be just left in the thing. Well, but but... then you
3: need, you know, maybe I'll do as a bite of the week one week, you know, one of those little um, cases that you put everything in. So all my tech stuff, my, because the minute I get in, I plug in, right? I'm the first person to take the, the, um, charging port. People hate me. Um, so I've got my AC plug. I've got my cable for that. I've got my spare battery. So all of this stuff goes in one case so that I take
0: all of that out of the little pocket. That's better because that little yeah. pocket, I can only imagine what's in the airport lost and found. It's like who, oh there's got to gotta be so many iPads and Kindles, and it's just awful.
2: (laughs) I want to go to one of those auctions. You know, they take all of the stuff. Yeah, where they keep all the stuff. Yeah, the lost and found stuff, and, like, I think there are two centers in the U.S. where you can, like, go and buy giant lots of lost and found stuff.
3: Right.
2: So I'm going to find your iPads. Yeah.
3: Sometimes when I'm at the gym, I I really just want to veg out and maybe, you know, look at a stupid show on TV, and I can't because I can't plug in. So if this is in my little carrying case for my cables or my phone, just plug into the uh, stationary bike or the elliptical and connect.
0: That's awesome. All right. My um, bite, I think I'm obviously just have college on the brain (laughs) because I have two people in my house who are just obsessed with college. Um, So today, well, this week in the New York Times, in the Wall Street Journal, rather, not the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, there was an article that is so upsetting It's called For Sale, SAT Takers Names, Colleges by Student Data and Boost Exclusivity. For 47 cents, the college board will sell an individual's information feeding admissions frenzy. And what this is about, and if anyone has a college-age student, or not a college, really like sophomore and above, once your kid takes the PSAT in any form, I think, and registers or an AP class, once they're registered on the college board site, you get inundated with mail from colleges, Mm -hmm. like inundated. I mean, there must be millions of trees killed every year in the service of direct mail for college recruitment. And what the article is about is about how a lot of schools are sending to so many kids who really shouldn't be applying to those schools because they just want to boost their application rate so they can have a lower acceptance rate. And they're using the data that they're buying from the college board to target the kids. So they can find kids in certain states, they can find certain genders, they can find kids who've selected that they're interested in certain majors. They can see their range of their scores. They can't see their exact score, but they know within 50 points, whatever it is. And what they're doing is just having this frenzy to amplify the perception of exclusivity that the colleges want to breed, and that this is all a piece of the same thing. And is there any way for your student to opt out? Like, is there any kind of privacy policy that you can check? There is. Your student can say, I don't want to be contacted by schools, but what student's going to say that, right? Like, the way they phrase it is, would you like to hear from colleges that are interested in Um, you? Like... Of course, every kid's going to be like, oh, yeah, right? And then it feels very flattering when you get all that stuff. That's part of what this talks about. It's like so flattering when all of a sudden you're getting, you know, things from really exclusive universities or you're getting scholarship offers, you're getting whatever. And meanwhile, it could very well be, you know, just, it's just male. It's just a pitch. Um, And what they have in this article that is unbelievably fascinating, and I've been playing with it all morning (laughs) because I can't stop, is a graph and it'll show you from 2002 until 2017, the number of application, the percentage rise, the decrease in acceptance rate. <laughs> um, and it's just in one little chart, you can type in any university in the college, um, I mean in the country, and it'll show you everything. And they, they focus a lot on Vanderbilt in this um, <laughs> article, which is maybe not nice the way they focus on it, but I guess Vanderbilt sort of spoke to them, but their application rate has gone up 220%. 220%. And that's a lot of application
3: fee money being spent too.
0: Oh, yeah. And the acceptance rate has gone down 25%. I mean, it's crazy. So the odds of admissions have gone down, like all these things. But the school is the same school, right? Like, it's just... It's just kind of a crazy, crazy thing. And you can see the acceptance rate. So at Vanderbilt, the acceptance rate in 2002, so forget when we went to college, when God knows how high the acceptance rate was. In 2002, the acceptance rate was 46% at Vanderbilt. It's now 11%.
2: And I should know this because I have a kid in college, but where does the application money go? Does that go to like some common app group, or does it go to the school? No, it goes to the school. So the school, like the more people who apply, the more money they make on that, and or yes. or or does it actually cost them that much to process each kit?
0: Well, I think the fact that they've expanded their direct mail business and they're pitching and they're they I mean they say like they've tripled the size of their admissions offices and they've like they've hired all these people, but I don't think it outweighs the amount of money they're making. They're making millions and millions of dollars. Some of these schools. Um, other schools have done away with the application fee, like Tulane, like they don't, it's not a waiver anymore. They literally just don't charge you anymore to apply. And part of that is because they want more applications. Mm. So there are all these, their schools have gotten rid of supplemental essays because they want more applications. Wow! <laughs> like it, it's crazy. So this article is insane. There are no privacy laws basically protecting kids and their data, um, which is a huge gap in are already (laughs) hole-filled privacy laws or lack of It should be an opt-in that goes straight to the parents. Yes. It should also be very clear what they're selling. Um, You know, the fact that they're making money off of you is so gross when you are paying the college board to take these tests. And one of the things this article points out is that by feeding this anxiety, the college board makes more money because kids will take the SAT multiple times. So now you have kids taking the SAT three times, four times, five times. Um, and it's, you know, whatever. So I don't remember what it is, but it's like $100 each time. Whatever it is, this frenzy of admissions is also making kids take the test more and more. Um, so they're making their profit jumped like $40 million or something. It was like a 100% increase in just a small period of time. That's crazy. It's disgusting. Um, And so all of this is being done on the backs of
3: our kids. I saw that article this (laughs) morning. So now I definitely have to read it when we're done. Yeah,
0: it's crazy. It's very long. It's really in depth. It's really good. Um, But hopefully there will be a follow up to what you just said, Amy, on how much money these places are making off of it. Um, Yeah, it's an arms race and the losers are our kids. And our recycling bins. Oh, my God. I mean, honestly, we got one the other day from a school that was not recyclable because it was Mylar. (laughs) Like, it was shiny silver. It was a book. And inside the book were, like, eight more books that you had to pull out all to describe how to apply to the school because their application is so complicated. And it's not a school they requested. Like, my kids didn't request information from that school. It just came. And we got two. So (laughs) two of everything. (laughs) Um, I'm like, I don't even know what to do with this. I can't even recycle it. Like, and this is, of course, a school with like a big like sustainability goals. <laughs> you know, all the things that they're supposed to have. You're like, um, okay, maybe start here. So, anyway, that is my bite this week. That is our show for this week. You can find links to everything we talked about on Facebook.com/ParentingBites and ParentingBites.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, we'd love to hear from you guys. Please leave us Facebook comments. You can PM us on Facebook. Any way you'd like to get a hold of us, so let us know your questions, issues you'd like us to tackle, or experts you'd like us to have on. Until next week, happy parenting. Bye. 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 Hey, this is our Parenting Bytes disclaimer. Everything we talk about on the show is our own opinion. Any products we recommend, it's our own personal recommendation for entertainment purposes only. If you buy something through our affiliate links or you just happen to buy or see or read or watch something that we've recommended, it's at your own risk.